time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 99 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and we kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly, and what kind of coffee are we brewing today? This is cinnamon roll. Yes, it is because it's fall and we love our cinnamon. It smells good. Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. I am ready for tomorrow to be here because as we're recording this, this is like the fourth or fifth day of straight rain. Oh, yeah. It's been bad. I mean, by the time this drops, we'll probably be back in sunshine and pretty fall again. But we need an arc the past few days. <laughs> it's been bad. Uh-huh. It's been really bad. It was so wet that I ended up on the deck. Yeah, that on was On my back funny. with 911 call with a gash in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's been so wet that you don't want to walk outside. No. And a pulled hamstring, which I'm nursing. So it's just like, come on, sunshine, come back. By the time this drops, we will be in sunshine again. <laughs> Maybe like uh, 60 degrees. That would be great. Oh, that would be beautiful. Sunshine. Yeah. The fall leaves mm-hmm. not falling on them. Starting to see some color <laughs> as we get towards the end of October. It's starting to get close to your birthday. You're going to say that because I'm going to turn the big magic number before you. I'm saying that because I've been in the thrift shop the past couple of days and I have found some good <laughs> stuff for your birthday. <laughs> Uh huh. Yeah. So we are basically what twenty two days apart. Yeah, I think that's right. So yeah, birthdays are coming. Mm-hmm. It's a big one for us. I'm gonna make like a triple layer birthday cake <laughs> with chickens all over it. Yeah, we'll put that up on our socials. So yeah, the other thing is with the weather and the rain, man, I feel so bad for the chickens. It's been a lousy several days. Yeah. Partially, I just want them to stay in the coop mm-hmm. and not come out and have like days in, but they never do that. Emma the Cochin does not like the weather. She keeps her pretty self in the coop a lot of the time. Really? Oh, she'll pop out and eat when she's ready, have a little and run around. And she's a baby and she's smart. She's very smart. She's a very placid chicken. I just have the vision of like a year or two ago when it would be snowy and rainy mm-hmm. and Gertie would be the only one in the coop and then she would poke <laughs> her head out and like, what are you people thinking The lavenders are there? sitting out there wet and miserable. <laughs> Gertie's like, what are you doing? She's like, you people are fools. Yeah. Emma will stay in the coop. The Brahmas will be in and out. So Brahmas and coaches are in and out. You know, it's funny. The Barnevelders are in and out. You know who stays out most of the time and gets drenched? Who? The Jubilee Orpingtons. Well, they're Orpingtons. It's an Orpington thing. It's they're like, Orpington we're so fluffy. Thing. We're so fluffy. They we don't, don't feel, feel it. it until it's like too far oh, down. Victoria and Elizabeth look miserable. But, I'll tell you who stays stay out, out on there. my end all the time, who I, I hated the fabs all the, the time. The fabrols, yeah. And croissant is in the middle of a molt. It's starting to get bad. Like her little face is covered with pin feathers and yeah. oh, it's the worst. I and know. she's out there all wet. And they're all wet. And it's like when you tuck them in at night, you're like, I can't believe you're this wet. I know. We'll be good with sunshine. I think tomorrow here is supposed to be nicer for everyone. Yes. 
But nothing else is really going on on my end. Just taking care of chickens and going along. So if you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And I'm telling you this, we love reading these reviews. It makes our day when one comes in. We love it. While you're there, hit that subscribe button. It's another great way to grow our show. You never miss an episode. If you're looking for other ways to help support the show, you can visit our Etsy shop where we have all of our new mugs. Yay! You can become a patron of the show. Visit patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. You can see what benefits come with each one. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links and codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love the chicken pot holders and the Ikea scrub brush. My chickens are going crazy over those grubbly grubs in that box. And the chicken note cards are going to be great to send into school with the teachers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog, and don't forget, pre-orders start November 2022 for the spring 2023 season. It's time for the Breed Spotlight, yeah. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is one of my favorites, so it has I to know. be upbeat. So. I love this chicken. Okay, so this week's Breed Spotlight is another revisit of the Sussex. Yay! If you are new to chickens and you could only ever have one breed as your forever chicken, now personally, that's our idea of hell. It is because there's multiple that I would only want. But if you were brand new and someone said, you only get this one chicken, we would say pick the Sussex. Yes. They are gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Great personality. Very good layers. They are good foragers. They're the perfect dual purpose. They check off mostly every box. I I had more boxes to go. I know. You're still going, but they check them all off. They do. Dual purpose heritage breed. They have a really long history. Oh, they yeah. do well in most climates. They are robust and healthy. They are a pleasure to have around. And Ex- they're stronger than you think. Excellent show birds. Yeah. I'm still going. Yeah. You could call this a con, but not for us. They're really chatty chickens. I love it myself, a chatty chicken. I love a talker. 
Katie oh. runs around and reads them the riot act. Mary like. Berry does too. I yeah. think Katie's actually a little talkier than Mary Berry, but and pushy. Yeah, they're they're very chatty chickens. There's also a bantam, which you really wouldn't think of. I have not seen them around. I'm assuming they're popular in the show community. Probably. The Sussex are currently listed in the recovering category of the Livestock Conservancy's poultry conservation no list. No surprise there. No, none. They really are absolutely amazing chickens, and it's a chicken you're not going to outgrow. No, they're beautiful. And the personalities, those are some of the things that we look for. They lay like a light brown egg, but who cares? Yeah, they're good layers. They're great layers. It doesn't matter the color of the egg. Mary Berry actually lays a speckled egg. Oh, nice. And it's actually like a pink speckled egg. Yeah. So some of the Sussex will veer towards that light pinkish brown. That light pinkish, kind of like my Plymouth Bard Rocks, lay pinker brown eggs. Yeah. And so Mary has the speckles, which is adorable. She's a good layer. I mean, she's in the box four or five times a week. Yeah. Not that I need her to be, but she is. I love the fact that they're a bigger breed, hardy chicken. Yeah. I really love that. Yep. They are classified as a heavy breed in the English class of chickens. They come in three recognized varieties here. And when I say recognized, I mean APA recognized. Okay. So the first one we're all going to think of is a speckled. Yeah. Because that's the one we love the most. (laughs) Yes. The speckled. So you have white and black spangles on a deep maroon background. Which come across with the sunlight as green sheen. Yeah. They're absolutely stunning. The red. Beautiful. I had not seen. They're not that popular. No. Again, you probably need to go to the show community if you want to get one. Yeah. But if you look them up, they're a beautiful deep red with a dark head and some black in their tail. Now, the light is more popular than the red. Yeah. And it's more out there. And that's the Colombian pattern, the light Sussex. Exactly. And that's the white chicken. Right. So think a light Brahma, Colombian Mm -hmm. Wyandotte. It's that pattern. Yeah. There are some non-recognized colors you can get. Okay. So let's name these off. That's white. Brown. Silver. Buff and coronation. Oh, the coronation. <laughs> that chicken. Okay, so the coronation Sussex was named for the coronation of King George VI of England in oh. 1937. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's the queen's father. Exactly right. The queen that we just lost. That's her father. Yes. Now, I think when they were originally developed, they would have been for King Edward VIII, who abdicated. It was his brother. <laughs> right, right. So they became the coronation Sussex of King George VI. They are very similar to the light Sussex, except where the light Sussex have black, they have lavender. Ooh. It's absolutely stunning. There's not as much. You know, when you look at the Colombian, all the black, right. there's not as much. And what there is is lavender. Wow. So lavender on a white background. So they're are they s- big over in the UK then? You can get them easily in the UK? No. They're rare. They're rare in the UK too. Okay. Well, I found the source for them here. Really? Yes. Oh, you only heard it here. You can get them. <laughs> well, again, they're stunning. So if you're talking Sussex, you're talking moderate-sized combs and waddles. Mm-hmm. And when I say moderate, I mean not short. You got no. you have a decent amount. And there will be some difference in the combs, right. as in with every breed, mm-hmm. that you'll have some with a shorter comb, some with a longer comb. And, you know, your roos are going to have bigger combs and waddles, but they're right. not going to be like leghorn big. Yeah. White legs and feet. Red earlobes. And they have long, wide backs and their legs are just slightly on the short side. Yeah, so I always look at them next to the Orpies, okay? Uh-huh. And when I look at them, the Orpingtons and the Speckled Sussex, you think that they're going to be similar, but they're not. They're not. Body shapes are so different. Yeah. It's nice to have both of them. It is, but when you look at them, the Orpingtons are deep and round, where the Sussex are long and lower. Yes, exactly. It's, it's very, very clear when you see them together. This chicken is in the recovery, and there's one big reason, and I say this every week, and every, you're all going to get tired of me saying this, but it's available. Absolutely. They're now way more readily available in a farm supply store setting where they were not before. Yes. I would say even in the past five years, they've They were more on the lines of a designer chicken. Yeah. 
Like you couldn't get them a at, say, breed. the mill right. or a big chain farm supply store. And now you can. Yes. This chicken should be out there with families and everything else. So absolutely. If you're ordering for a farm supply store, this is like a solid choice that you cannot go wrong you're with. You're not going to keep this chicken. They're going to sell out. They're going to sell out. Yeah. The roosters weigh in about nine pounds mm-hmm. and the hens at about seven. It's a big armful of chicken. It is. I love to hug me some Mary Berry. Uh, Katie Teabiscuit every night refuses to go up on the roost. Why? I don't know. So it's just something she's always done. And she is a wing flapper. I call her the wing flapper from way back. <laughs> Sorry, it hurts when they get you in the it face. It hurts. I usually get like written the nose and lip. Every oh my night. God. And I'm like, I don't want to tuck you in like this every night. Yeah. Because you grab her and she wants to just do those wings. And she's a big girl. I don't have that trouble with Mary because if I go to grab Mary, she squats every <laughs> single time and I just scoop her up. But I love Katie T. Biscuit. It's just a big, big chicken. What is it? Oh, they're so beautiful. They have such great, pr- just everything about them. I mean, this is a Sussex love fest, but we do love them. We do. So the Sussex were developed in England in Sussex. Sussex County. Shocker. Exactly. So Sussex County and the surrounding region. They are considered a heavy breed, as we pointed out before. A lot of sources claim that they've been around since our friends, the Romans. They're my best friends, those Romans. Visited England. Do you have any family that was in the Rome? Se- I mean, I know you have a lot of family from Sicily. I have Northern Italy and I probably do have some, some from Roman around. In there. Yeah. I have a hard time finding a lot about their very early history. I'll start by saying that I've found a few contemporary historians that suggest that Sussex may have already been in the UK when the Romans brought in the Dorkings. Okay. Absolutely nothing to substantiate substantiate that. That's an interesting question because archaeological evidence has shown over and over that the early Britons did keep chickens, but they did not eat them. Smart people. Right. So they actually had religious significance. And I don't know if they ate the eggs or not. I would assume they did. But a lot of historians will say that Britons did not eat chickens until the Romans came in with their dorkings and they (laughs) started eating them, right? That's a maybe. I have nothing to substantiate that one way or the other. It's just an interesting theory. When you look at a chicken, they can give you so much more with eggs. You know, I mean, Uh, I think that it's an ongoing versus just one thing. Lay you a lot of eggs. Some of these breeds are going to top a thousand eggs in their lifetime. Wow. So as I was reading and as I was trying to find anything on the Sussex, what I realized is that they tend to be lumped in with the Dorking by the early poultry historians. Okay. I believe they were developed in the same general area and refined. They're the same size as the Dorkings. They're similar. Yeah, yeah. They're similar in size. And so the sort of Sussex, Kent, that southern England area right. where the Romans were, they both really were refined in those areas. Mm-hmm. I found a bunch of references to speckled dorkings. Which would be this chicken. That's probably the Sussex. Yeah. yeah. Lewis Wright has a whole chapter on the dorkings of in course. Sussex, right? <laughs> in Wright's Book of Poultry, which was originally published in 1885. We have talked about this book so much that they need to do a reprint. You can get reprints. Yeah. Does everybody out there feel like you know Lewis Wright at this point? Because this man was you the chicken even man. Scratch the surface of Lewis Wright. <laughs> like, this man. Maybe. So he mentions the Sussex as a separate breed, but he says they're in great danger of going extinct. And I gathered this both with him and other poultry historians. A lot of times they would be mentioned as an inferior four-toed version of the Dorking. Again, that's where our speckled Dorking came yeah, from. Yeah, we think that they were probably a separate breed and they were lumped in with the Dorking. Right. And so Lewis Wright was very concerned about them going extinct. Now, I'm sure both the Dorking and the Sussex had other breeds brought in. Yeah. I read some theories that the Sussex weren't as big. People bred Cochins and Langshans and Asiatics in there. I don't know if they did or didn't. But at the beginning of the 20th century, Lewis Wright was very concerned they were going to go extinct. 
And so a Sussex Poultry Club was started in 1903. Okay. And our friend Lewis was an active member. Of course. Right? Of course. Now, his personal favorite was the Light Sussex. Okay, and so he was not a speckled man. No, he liked the light Sussex. He it is a pretty a bird, light Sussex. but I'm always going to go for speckles or that coronation. Me too. Yeah. The club was meant to come up with a breed standard and, you know, help preserve the breed and do all the things that a club is meant to do. And obviously, they were quite successful. Yeah. So, Dorkings are credited with being one of the early breeds in the U.S. They are. But Sussex may have been here too. It might have been just under that big umbrella of the Dorking. Right, exactly. Hiding under there. So if you read, the documented official arrival of the Sussex in the U.S. is 1912. It's not that far back. So remember that they just had a breed standard developed in the U.K. Right. They were accepted into the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection in 1914 for the speckled and the red Sussex, and then in 1929 for the light. Okay. But given how old the breed is in the UK, there are a couple of circumstances that make it pretty likely that it was an early American breed. Yeah. They would have been an ideal dual purpose breed, which you would need if you were settling a new land. Now, keep in mind that at the time, the concept of a breed was kind of new. They were really more like geographical. They were just there where they were bred, like barn, almost barn chickens. So as a breed from the south of England, they were frequently found at the London market and it's very likely they could have been selected to take to the port at Plymouth, along with the Dorkings, right. to go to the New World. If you're looking at the wider history, there's a breed of sheep called the Southdown Sheep. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a dual-purpose breed that was developed in exactly the same region. They were supposed to be on this journey to Jamestown, Virginia as well. And it kind of makes sense that all of them would have been gathered right. as livestock to take. And we know for sure that the first several ships to Jamestown did carry livestock. We'll probably never know for sure because essentially all the chickens brought to Jamestown on the first couple of ships were eaten by humans and predators. Of course. And that's the end of that story. No one knows and no one wrote anything down. No. So it's all speculation at this point. I think it's very likely that they could have And they could have been under a little umbrella of the dorking and basically been called that chicken and they were speckled. dorking. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so let's circle back. The Sussex hens are very, very, very good layers. They are. They're going to produce about 200 large brown eggs per year, some speckled, some pink and shade, or some just like a light brown color. Yeah, like middle of the road light brown, yeah. They will sometimes go broody. They do make very good mothers, and sometimes they will not. And I'm hoping always for the do not. Yeah, yeah. And so far, Katie has been great. Mary hasn't gone broody either. No. She is one of the hardcore with the babies. Uh-huh. Like, she's always the one reading them the right act. Well, probably then, if she had her own baby, she would probably be really aggressive with the other hens. Yeah. Another thing we love about the Sussex is that they're reasonably climate hardy. They do well in the cold. They do well in the heat. That body is big, but it's not big and round. Yeah, they're heavy, but they're not massive. It helps them in the heat. Right. And it helps them in the winter to also stay warm. Yeah, in the cold, you just want to watch the combs and waddles. Yep. But they really do handle the winter pretty well. I mean, they're still big chickens, so shades and fans during hot spells are important, especially with the darker ones because, you know, they absorb heat on their feathers, so shade's really important. The hens tend to be reliable layers despite weather conditions. Like, they'll lay into the winter. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Mm-hmm. Because Katie's only, a, like, a year old now. Yeah. I always, from the beginning, wanted a speckled Sussex, yep. and I had a hard time finding them. Yes. And I remember the first year the mill was going to carry the speckled Sussex. I know. And I called the morning. I'm like, are they there? And they're like, they sent us barred rocks and said, and I'm like, no. 
That was an off year for me. Pete and I were not getting, I think that was the year I moved. Yeah. So we didn't get chickens that year. And I was disappointed for you. I and was like, that's crazy. That's when I got the three barred rocks, barred rocks. instead of the speckled Sussex. Mm-hmm. And then last year, Bauman's came through. Oh, Bauman's is one of our local farm supply yeah, shops. Yeah, so. I would happily have more Sussex. Me too. I love them. Okay, so we classify this chicken as a great homestead breed, mm-hmm. as you can tell by now. Yeah. And they're really good foragers. They're great in the compost, in the winter garden, and in the orchard. They're mm-hmm. great. Yeah. They're perfect for families. I mean, they're really good with kids. They're super friendly. And they're excellent in the mixed flock. Here's the other thing which we should mention. They're great if you are a chicken lady and love to take pictures of chickens. Because yeah. These chickens are beautiful. They're very photogenic. They're basically like models of the chicken world. Yeah. Catching the light in every single way. That's oh, one of the yeah. things I like doing with taking pictures is catching the light and reflect off the feathers and different lighting. They're beautiful. They're so beautiful. They're also reasonably smart. I mean, they're not too smart. You know, they're not like Andalusian's going to lead the jailbreak smart, but they're very smart. They're usually towards the top of the pecking order. Mm-hmm. They're cooperators. They get along with people pretty well for the most part. Before we both had them. Mm -hmm. If you do the research of other people out there, they're classified as pushovers. And they are not. We're here to tell you they are not. I've not found mine to be a pushover now. They're not. She's not the top of the pecking order. But she's she's well in there. Katie is near the top. Mm -hmm. And she's not taking anything from anybody. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on your situation. Like if you put a speckled Sussex in with some meaner, older chickens, maybe. maybe. But in our well-balanced flocks, they do really well. They do really, really well. They're confident and outgoing in most situations. I mean, they're not shrinking violets for the most part. No, and that's the thing I think they have a reputation of being. Maybe, yeah. You know, I don't find them that way. I just find them like good, solid chicken. Kind of like, you know, maybe back in the day, the colonial days of the Java. Like mm-hmm. the, just the chicken that was a yeah. hardworking chicken. Yep. That did everything right, had a great personality, and was eye-pleasing and... Beautiful again. Exactly. If that's the only chicken you could have, you have an awesome chicken for all your days. Yeah, you do. They're also cuddly. They are. And let's say wing slap you. Uh, Mary's not a big wing slapper. I don't know why Katie is like that. <laughs> I, 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 like every time I'm like, come on, man, you can't do this. But my Jersey Giants will get me. Actually, Esther got me in the lip the other morning. It hurts. It does hurt. I was like, wow. So, widely available. And if you're ordering, we're going to send you to one certain place that has them. Murray McMurray Hatchery has them. They yeah, do. They have a beautiful line of speckled. Now, the Coronation Sussex. Right? I only found one source, and I'm sorry to say that they're straight run, but Sandhill Preservation Center does have them. They have almost every chicken known to man. Have you looked at it? Look it up right now. Okay. Okay, you are now looking at the Coronation Sussex. What do you think? Oh, they're beautiful. They're so different looking. They're really, really stunning chickens, I think. Oh, they're definitely different than most chickens I've ever seen. It's a shame they can't be shown. Yeah. I mean, Sussex are a really good show chicken, but the coronation is not AP accepted. They're beautiful. So yeah, if you're a fan of Sussex, go look at the coronation just to see how pretty they are. Okay, send us your pictures. We would love to see them. We'll give you a story. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosty's proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. 
If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosty's store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, let's move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of questions lately. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) About feeding fall pullets. So that's what this week's main topic is. And when we say feeding fall pullets, we mean your spring chicks have grown into pullets. Yes. And they're probably integrated with your flock. And you're not sure how to feed them. Another thing that comes under this umbrella is oyster shells and calcium and everything else. Right. When to start all these things? Because these are a lot of the DMs and emails that we're getting from everyone. And you know what? They're legit questions. Absolutely. So we're getting things like my girls are integrated with the older girls, but only one of them is laying and the other shouldn't be eating layer food yet. Is that right? What do I do? Yes, you are right. You don't want chickens who are not sexually mature on layer food yet. You feed to the youngest chicken of your flock, and you always can offer oyster shell. Right. And that's what it comes down to in a nutshell. You need to protect the younger chickens who aren't laying yet, but the ones who are laying absolutely need calcium. Yes. Oyster shell, it's going to be your go-to. It is bar none the best source of supplemental calcium. That's also the case if you have a roux. Yes, exactly. So yeah, we're going to break it down so you can easily and safely feed all of your girls and boys. This is especially important if you do have early layers. Like my leg bars were really early layers. Our last year chicks laid so early. Fayumi's have a reputation for laying super early. They were my last (laughs) to start laying, which is hilarious. But anyway, if you have early layers mixed with late layers like cochins, then you really want to watch the heritage breeds and not get them on layer food too soon. So here's the thing. If you have a grower food, everyone can eat it. There's no misconception there. Yeah, and we'll it's go a little higher the, protein. Right. But. We'll go through the different names. The chicks and young pullets do not need laying hen levels of calcium. Right. And that's where the problem is with that food. Exactly. Higher levels of calcium can cause really serious health problems, including too much uric acid, yes. which can cause gout. And gout will damage kidneys and other organs. Yes. Too much calcium also interferes with absorption of other vitamins and minerals, including phosphorus. Okay. It can lead to rickets. And rickets, it's a terrible disease. You've got soft, rubbery bones in your birds. No good. And yes, all chickens need some calcium. Right. As well as reproductive health, calcium helps regulate digestion, the nervous system, the skeleton system, absorption, and metabolism of other vitamins and minerals. So they need all these things. It also helps maintain cardiovascular health. Yes, which level? So right. the higher levels of calcium are only to help with light. Exactly. Now, there's some confusion around the terms. A lot of us call chick food starter. Right. I call it grower. Grower. So starter and grower. Like in some places, in some states in the US and like the UK, starter and grower are two different feeds. Right. But for our purposes, anything that you can feed chicks or young ones, starter you or grower, anybody. you can feed anybody. Right. Yeah. So I grabbed the top three feeds in this country. Okay, let's start with Purina. And I use Purina Flock Razor for my Bantams because it's a tiny crumble. Right. So Purina Flock Razor has 0.8 to 1.3% calcium. Okay. Your laying hens are going to get Purina Laina. Let's look at that calcium level. It's 3.25 to 4.25. So do you see the difference of 0.8 to 1.3 to 3.25 to 4.25? That's a very right. big jump Those in are, calcium. That's a big percentage right there. 
The next one is Neutrina Off Lock. Right. I use Neutrina Off Lock crumbles for my standard size right. flux with roosters in them. Neutrina Layer Feed. It's a little lower, but it's still a big jump. So the off lock is 1.4 to 1.9. The neutrina layer is 3.7 to 3.9%. And our favorite of all three is Grubbly's Little Pecs. Yeah. We love that stuff. Our chicks love that. This They'll devour it. Yeah. This year's chicks have been exclusively on the Grubbly's feed and look They're, amazingly gorgeous. They do. And this food is amazing. So it's again, 0.8 to 1.3% calcium where their fresh packs, which is their layer food, is 3 to 4% calcium. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. The only difference in these feeds, besides there's a difference in protein, which isn't going to hurt them at this point, is the calcium. And that big jump, if you can see that jump, that is enough to affect kidneys and liver and everything else in your chickens. So always feed to the youngest. Just as an aside, I would love to have all my chickens on Grubbly's off-lock. And I've heard a rumor (laughs) that they're making an off-lock. We just anyway, love our grublies, if you can tell. I would love to see how the Nankin Bantams look on the grublies. I'm telling you, the Little Pecs is amazing. The quality of that food. None of the hens mind eating it, that's for sure. And all the big girls, they go directly they to those it. bowls. Yeah. Now, laying hens definitely need calcium. So right. you can't switch the food off and then they don't get the calcium they need and they're laying because you're going to get different problems like soft-shelled eggs, some paper-thin eggs. And you don't want to cause that no. problem. And so you have to have a source of calcium for them. That's where you need oyster shells to the rescue. Oyster shells will give them the levels they need because without them, as you pointed out, they lay soft-shelled eggs. The other thing, they can have fewer and weaker contractions. Like they need yeah. the contractions to lay the egg. So Calcium that, is what jump starts the contractions. Yeah. The other thing is they draw too much calcium from their own bones. Yes. To make the eggshells. That's a scary thing. Yeah. The really magical thing about the oyster shells is that the hens will go eat what they need. Yes. And if you leave them out there, the babies leave them alone. Unless it's a pull up this leg and then they'll go over and start eating them. Or if they them. eat one or two, it's not going to hurt them. At no, that point. no. But that's a longer moving through of calcium than the eggshells. Right. But it's not in the food. The eggshells are most important for your older laying hens. Yeah. Because they will need more than a pullet. In general, a newly laying pullet needs about 2.75 to 3 grams of calcium. Okay. Where older laying hens need about 4 to 5 grams of calcium. Right. They need it and they don't want to take it out of their bones. And that's the next place it's going to come out of if you don't supplement it. Exactly. And now someone will say, well, I feed eggshells back to my chickens. This is what I was just talking about. Eggshells are very thin and they're a quick jolt of calcium. Right. So they're in, they're out. The oyster shells are usually thicker pieces and stay within the body and take longer to absorb. So they get the benefit of the calcium for longer. Yeah, exactly. It's like a slow release. Right. So the food gives them a constant level of calcium. Mm -hmm. So all three things together, you can use in conjunction with each other. Right. They will take what they need. They will. The oyster shell keeps the maximum amount of calcium available over the longest period of time. And they really do kind of just eat what they need. And I've never seen any of my roos eat it. And there's no problem with giving eggshells after you eat your eggs, saving the eggshells, yeah. rinsing them, drying them, and giving them back. Both their feed and the eggshells are a short-term jolt. So. I always say it's like a potato chip for the chicken. Oh, yeah. Kind of they, is, isn't they, it? They, they gobble look, it down. They do. That's the eggshell. So let's say we've gotten our hens all the calcium they need, right? There are still two other things that your hen's going to need to help her absorb and metabolize that calcium. And this is the same in people. Yeah. Phosphorus and? Vitamin D. Vitamin D is a big one. It is. Now, the phosphorus is usually present in their grains. So they usually get most of that from their feed. 
And vitamin D is through good old sunlight, and it's the same for people. Yeah. There are definitely supplements like... Flockard. Flockard is a good source of phosphorus. Nutri-Drench. Nutri-Drench. That's if you see a problem yeah. and you want to give a CC. But there's other stuff you can use every day. Chick Elixir, Flockart. Yes. And vitamin D, right now, it's been cloudy for four or five days. Right. They might need a little jolt of vitamin D. Absolutely. To get them laying eggs. The other thing about vitamin D is that it is a fat-soluble vitamin. So don't be afraid to give your hens the occasional suet treat right. or sunflower seeds that have a nice healthy fat content. Because if your hen is not getting enough fat, she's not going to be able to metabolize the vitamin D even if she's in the sunlight all day right. long. Exactly. So like all these things work together in a healthy diet. So if you get one chick laying and the rest aren't, you're going to stay stable with what you're doing. And when basically every chick, now if you're down to one, it might be okay at that point. Uh, yeah, to I switch over. over if there's only one hole yeah. out. Yeah. And it's always good. You can have both of them out there available if you're mixed. It's best just to be to the youngest. Absolutely. That's the number one rule. You're not going to go wrong that way. Nope. And oyster shells at all times if you have a mixed age flock. And you know, if you still have a hen having a problem, that might be a candidate for a visit to your veterinarian. Right. Or maybe she needs to come out for a supplement. Or you can add supplements to your daily water. Yeah. Give her a handful of grublies. Yeah. Soldier fly grubs Mm -hmm. are great. High in calcium. Yeah. High in protein. You can't go wrong with those. So we hope that's helpful. It's extra steps and it's a little complicated. But if you say, you know, forget that my hens all need to perform eating the same food, then it's not a matter of if you get a health problem. It's going to be when when you get a health problem. Yep. And again, we say that with our 28 years of (laughs) long, long, long combined experience. Okay. So if you still have questions and you want to reach out to us, please do. We love your messages and questions. We'll answer you as quickly as we can. It's Flocktober. Right now, you can get 25% off Save a Chick FlockGuard Supplement. FlockGuard is a daily supplement that is packed full of the probiotics, vitamins, and minerals that your poultry needs. I love that the protein comes from dried whole eggs, and it partners perfectly with the probiotics. It's a time of year that our flocks need lots of extra protein and vitamins to help them through their molt and keep their digestive tract happy. Use the code SAVE25 today for 25% off your purchase. Visit saveacalf.com. That's S-A-V-A-C-A-F.com. Try it today. Okay, so let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Okay, this week's Cracking the Eggs is... Pumpkin Spice Pancakes. We are staying with Pumpkin Man. And we have a very special guest who's coming on to tell you about the pancakes. Lisa Steele, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me back. Our pleasure. So it's October, and we figure that because it's October, anything pumpkin is on the table, right? Even September sometimes, but definitely October. I think you're okay with pumpkin. So you graciously agreed to share one of your recipes with us. So we're going to talk about your pecan pumpkin spice pancakes. Mmm, sounds so good for weekend brunch, for during the week. Yeah, I think it's a perfect recipe for this time of year. And what I love about that recipe specifically is that you always seem to have that half can of pumpkin left over. You know, you make a recipe and it calls for just half a can. I mean, I usually do just give it to the chickens because they love pumpkin everything. But once I made these pancakes and realized that you could use the puree for the pancakes, I feel like they're really nutritious. You know, they got a lot of spices in them. They got the pumpkin in them. So you can feel good about eating them. And they're just so good. Pumpkin is quintessential for the fall. It's what it's about. And breakfast foods are Americans' favorite foods. Who doesn't like pancakes? Yeah, and I feel like if you like pancakes other times of the day, 
I mean, I think spices are super fall also. Like anytime I think cinnamon or nutmeg or anything like that, because they're just kind of like warming ginger, all those spices. So you can use, you know, pumpkin spice out of the container, but you can also just mix up your own using your own spice blend of any of those warming spices. And that's kind of what I used in the pancakes. Just a little of this, a little of that, you know, just some really good flavor. You included ginger in there also, which is a really nice autumn kind of spice to put in there. It gives a warmth to everything. And the chopped pecans, I mean, you can't go wrong with those, that's for sure. Lisa, did I see you put up a blog post recently with your pumpkin spice mixture on it? Yes. Okay, Mm -hmm. so you can check out Lisa's blog if you want to see how she makes her pumpkin spice mixture. But yeah, it is kind of a little of this and a little of that, and it smells amazing. You don't really need a recipe. You know, the reason I put that up there is because, you know, I'll be reading a cookbook. I want to make a recipe and it'll say pumpkin pie spice. Like who really keeps that on hand? You know, and I don't want to go out and buy the container of it. So you can just throw in what you've got, whatever spices that you like, throw them together. I mean, you don't have to follow the recipe. I just put it out there as sort of guidelines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good resource if someone is afraid to start mixing spices themselves. Right. So this recipe is in your cookbook. Mm Mm-hmm. We're going to have a link in the show notes to the cookbook. If you haven't gotten the book yet, you want to check that out. And one of the other things I think is great about this recipe is that in the fall, your chickens may be slowing down and this one only uses one egg. That's true. One of the things I loved about the cookbook is when we were organizing it is in the back, there's a glossary and it's by number of eggs. You know, so if you've got two dozen eggs, you might want to make an angel food cake or a pound cake or something like that. And if you only have one egg, there's a list of recipes because, you know, I'm sure you're the same as me. You get a lot of eggs in the summer, in the spring, fall and winter. You don't really have as many. You want to save them for baking, but you might still want to also make some savory dishes and things like that. I like that about your cookbook with the egg index. It's a very good idea to put in there because part of our cracking the egg segment, we try to use a plethora of recipes to give people ideas for entertaining. If you only have two eggs, if you have 10 eggs, what can you do with these eggs to make a hearty meal or dessert that you might not be thinking about? Mm -hmm. And people who have chickens, spring and summer, you're going to have lots and lots of eggs and you're going to run out of ideas. So you need a (laughs) reference point, a place to go back. What can I do with these besides giving away to the neighbors? Yeah. It's great. So, exactly. Know. Or give them to the chickens. I actually just cooked up those, like a dozen eggs for the chickens, scrambled them because I've been hoarding eggs because I knew production was going to slow down and it hasn't really slowed down yet. So I was sort of getting backed up. So I just gave the chickens a bunch of eggs and they're molting. So it's good protein for them. Yes. They really love the treat. You know, in the summer, they're eating grass and bugs and stuff, stuff from the mm-hmm. garden weeds. So I'm not as good about giving them treats as I probably should be. So it was something really special. They haven't had eggs in forever. I'm surprised they remember what they were. They're like, yay, here comes eggs. Mm-hmm. Probably doesn't take them long to figure it out. Yeah, no, they loved them. I added a little garlic, you know, the ends of the garlic. When you chop up garlic, I added some garlic in there for them. That was a nice little treat for them yesterday. So you graciously shared the recipe with us. We will have the link to your recipe on our webpage so people can go make the recipe there. So I'm kind of a maple syrup on my pancake kind of a girl. Me too. These are sweet though. My mom used to do something when we were kids where she would give us a stack of pancakes and she would slip a fried egg in the middle of them. And it was incredibly good. And I wonder if it would work just as well with these. Well, they kind of do that now. Different kind of places like fast food, they have like the pancake buns. Really? Yes. So your mom was ahead of her time. She's a brilliant lady. Fast food restaurants do that. I only know that because I have kids and they're like, I want the pancake sandwich. <laughs> I had and no idea. And it kind of makes sense. You do egg and bacon and cheese in between two pancakes. Wow. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if that would work with the pumpkin because there's just so not. much going on with them. You never know. I mean, eggs are sort of neutral. 
you know, they, yeah, they it would probably work with just the buttermilk. Yeah. Definitely work with plain pancakes. It remains to be seen if it would work with the pumpkin. When I make these, <laughs> I'm going to go with maple syrup anyway, because <laughs> I like the maple syrup. That's funny. I mean, it's actually ironic. The photo in the book is one of my favorite because it's sort of like a moving photo. It has yeah. the syrup dripping down onto the pancakes. But in reality, I use butter on my pancakes. I love everything maple. I love, you know, maple latte and maple cake, which is another recipe from my cookbook. I love maple flavor, but I don't like maple syrup on my pancakes. I think because it makes them kind of like mushy and wet. So I just, I go with butter and confectioner sugar for pancakes. Oh, okay. I use that on my French toast. Yeah. I make a maple syrup scone mm-hmm. with bacon in it. Well, turkey bacon. And the flavors go really, really well together. Yeah. I bet that's really delicious. We know that you have the TV show out and we wanted to check with you and see how you're doing on that end. Congratulations on it. Yeah, I think that actually came about since the last time we talked. I'm yeah. not sure because it started airing in April on public television stations all over the country. And it started airing on Create TV in June and also on Passport, which is the public television streaming. So it's streaming now. And also it is available in New Zealand and Australia. If you have any listeners from those countries. It we is. do. I do too. I have, I have a lot. After, I guess, Canada and the UK, Australia and New Zealand is probably the next most popular for people that follow me. So I was really excited about that. I think it's going to start airing in Australia in October and it's already airing in New Zealand on country TV. So that's pretty exciting. Was it fun to produce? Did you have fun doing it? So much fun. I love it. It's like making a little movie. You know, it's it's not scripted, but it's kind of like we go into each day knowing where we want it to go and the segments we're going to do. But how we get there, you know, is kind of up in the air and it's all just very natural and organic. It just comes out so beautiful. You know, they've done such a great job with it, editing together my rambling nonsense and somehow putting it into a cohesive show. It amazes me every time. Do the chickens have fun? (laughs) The chickens love it. I mean, the chickens more often than not will hit their mark. You know, they'll say, well, okay, we want the chickens to come out and kind of like run in that direction and stop over there. The chickens are very treat driven. So they usually get their scenes right away. And it's me who flubs up lines or isn't standing where I'm supposed to or something goes wrong. They go yeah. for those grublies. Yeah, they do. They love their grublies. And it's funny because we were tossing them out because we were trying to get the chickens to do something. And we were tossing the grublies on the ground. And our corgi, who loves to be in any scene that he can be in, was standing there. So he went over to see what the chickens were eating. And he decided he likes grublies too. They so do. now I have to be really careful about when I toss the grublies because he'll try to get them before the chickens get them. You need to get their dog treats. We do. That was brilliant on their part. I think they did realize that dogs like the flavor. Yeah, the grublies yeah. are a big hit around here. So what's coming up on the second season of the show? Can you give us any hints? So funny, you should just ask. We were actually just talking about that this morning, putting together some ideas, things that maybe we missed. We feel like Maine is a character in the show, you know, the, the foliage or the snow mm-hmm. or whatever. So we, we really were talking about the things that Maine is known for. We didn't cover blueberries. We didn't talk about moose at all, which I've actually never seen a moose. So just different places we want to go, different things we want to do to kind of make people feel like they're just spending the day. I just feel like there are just so many ideas to put into eight episodes. You know, it's hard to narrow down. So we were just talking about what that might look like and how it might work. And hopefully, fingers crossed, if all goes well, it'll start airing late spring, probably early summer. That's great. And it seems like the book is doing fantastically. How is it going for you with the book? Are you having fun promoting it and out there hitting the road? 
the promoting part is hard. Like self-promotion is always really hard. I'm sure you guys know. So that is sort of awkward, but it's my seventh book. So I'm kind of used to it. You know, the buy my book, buy my book. No, really buy my book type thing. <laughs> but it's been fun just working with a new publisher, a larger publisher, mm-hmm. working in a whole different community. So it's not, you know, just targeting chicken people. I've been doing a lot of radio shows or podcasts, you know, in the cooking community, which is really fun, you know, talking with, uh, you know, a chef who now has a podcast or whatever, because, you know, I've been talking about chickens for so long. So it has been a nice change. I've really enjoyed it. But no, because of COVID, you know, the in-person stuff really just ground to a halt and it's kind of just starting back up again. Oddly enough, the bookstores seem to be still kind of doing Zoom. I think a lot of people realize, well, I don't really have to be there and it's a lot cheaper just to stay home. I've done a lot of library book talks and things like that, like multiple libraries with their patrons. And it's great because you do save a lot of money without traveling, but I really miss the face-to-face. You know, I used to do a lot of feed stores, you know, whether it was book-related or not, just feed store kind of meet and greets, you know, at Tractor Supply or Blue Seal. And I miss those because that's when people would come and you could say hello to them and talk to them and you don't really get the same thing on Zoom. Yeah, that's a nice connection. You know, it seems like the conferences and and things are starting up again. Yeah. So hopefully after that, then the smaller store events will start opening up again too. Ease back into it. Any plans Mm -hmm. for another book in the future? I'm already working on one. I don't have a a deal or anything, but I was so in the habit of just recipe testing and and trying things out and saving recipes. And, you know, once I told my mom I was working on my cookbook, she started sending me egg recipes. So I have a stack. So I I just kept going. It's like I never stopped. And I figure if and when the next deal does come along, I'll just be like, here's the manuscript done. Fantastic. (laughs) So we have this amazing pumpkin pancake recipe, and we know you have the maple cake recipe in the book. Do you have mm-hmm. any other sort of fall-leaning recipes in there? Yeah. So there's a brown sugar maple bacon, which is insanely good. And then things like hash. Like I made a hash with beets and bacon mm-hmm. instead of white potatoes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bacon. I, I love bacon. <laughs> there's a lot of bacon. <laughs> You're in like my book. daughter. It's not a vegetarian book. A lot of people say, ask if it's vegetarian and it's not super meat heavy because the egg is the protein in most of the recipes. Mm-hmm. Just any of the baked goods, you know, those are, but basically the maple walnut cake is a favorite. I really, really do love that recipe. That's that probably my favorite. Amazing. And it's easy. Like a Boston cream pie takes a little more effort. Lemon meringue pie, you know, that's like, you really got to commit, but it's just a square cake, the maple walnut cake. It's in a square cake pan. It's super easy to make. I made it once and absolutely loved it. The flavors were Mm -hmm. just off the chart. So good. Most recipes that go along with fall, you can't really go wrong with them. Unless you don't like pumpkin. I don't like pumpkin pie at all. Like if there was pumpkin pie was the only dessert at Thanksgiving, I would not eat dessert. But I have a pumpkin swirl cheesecake recipe Mm -hmm. that's actually in the cookbook that I love. It's almost, it takes, you know, a pumpkin pie and mixes it with the cheesecake and you swirl it around, put some walnuts around the edge. And I love that. So I think for people who don't, love the straight pumpkin. Yeah. It almost becomes like a spiced cheesecake because you're adding so many spices to the exactly. cheesecake squirrel part. The top kind of looks like leaves because you're swirling it. That might be my favorite fall recipe now that I think about it. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I love that them both It's okay to change your mind. It's okay. <laughs> and creme brulee, which my torch was out of the butane or propane or whatever. And I was afraid to refill it. My husband finally refilled it for me. So I made creme brulee a week or so ago that I hadn't made in ages because my torch was empty. And I forgot how easy it is and how much I love it. So we've covered the book and your show. Any other new projects or anything else you want to let the listeners know is coming up? We have been developing some new products for my product line that's available Mm. on Amazon and Chewy. 
So I have the chicken supplements, the probiotics and the sea kelp and bruise yeast and all that good stuff. So that's kind of fun. We have some things in the works that hopefully will launch before the end of the year. I keep throwing ideas at the manufacturer. I'm like, how about we make this? And how about we make that? But I want things to make sense. I want them to be things that are practical and useful and people are actually going to use and have a need for, you know, not to come up with a product just to come up with a product. So it's things that I think are really important. That's fun. It's completely different because it's kind of like wholesale retail, which is completely different from the cookbook, which is completely different from social media, which you just get burnt out on so fast. Yeah. Constant content. So before we let you go, we're going to ask you the magic question. Are you getting any new chicks next year or is the in full for now? Honestly, and my husband's not on board with this, but I really want to try quail. I have like a couple of those starter coops, you know, the mm-hmm. little ones with the run- attached runs that really aren't good for anything except for quail. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, they're, they're small and I always keep them and they're good for moms and babies or if you have a sick chicken, whatever. But I really want to try quail. I really love the idea of the teeny tiny eggs and they're so pretty if they're speckled or blue or whatever. And I want to make like miniature deviled eggs or like eggs Benedict, but like in a teaspoon, you know, just like small size versions of different yeah, right, eggs. Yeah. Bite size is perfect. I've been doing some things with my bantam eggs for the same reason because mm-hmm. they're tiny. Yeah. I haven't talked my husband into it quite yet because they only live for like two years or three that's, years or something That's like my that. drawback with them because I get so attached and I love them all so much. I don't know. Every two years, it's just- Yeah, they'd all be like dropping dead. I don't get that. So then I was like, well, maybe if I just got enough and they all looked the same. I haven't wrapped my head around that part of it yet. Yeah. But they do have some of the most beautiful eggs And ever. they're so cute. I feel like the only drawback is their lifespan is short. I would be sad all the time. I'm like, I can't deal with that. I, that <laughs> I know. Would be- they start laying eggs at like, I don't know, eight weeks old and the eggs hatch in like four days. I mean, it, not four days, but you know, it's like a super quick lifespan. I mean, I guess so because they only years. live two years. So they have to, so they have it, to yeah. That's probably why their body matures much faster. Yeah. Yeah. So four I feel months. like people who get impatient, it's really great because you don't have to wait five months for them to start laying eggs. Maybe it's like 14 days they hatch in. I don't know. I had looked it up at one point. Well, we'll keep our eye out to see if you do end up with these quail (laughs) come next spring. We just want to say thank you again, Lisa, for coming on for Cracking the Eggs. It's been so much fun talking to you today. And we hope to talk to you again soon. You absolutely will. Bye-bye. Bye. Just want to say thank you to Lisa one more time for generously sharing the recipe for those pumpkin spice pancakes and giving us an update on all the other things she has going on. Okay, let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So retail therapy is one that we scheduled a while back and then we had to move around, but it's Mm -hmm. one that's been on our radar for a while. We're talking about cast iron cookware and using that to cook with your eggs. To peripherally hook cast iron cookware to our Our purpose. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cast iron cookware is pretty amazing stuff. It's highly collectible and it lasts forever if you take care of it. And the thing I like about this the most is that you can go from stovetop to oven very readily. That is pretty awesome. Like whether you're making cornbread, which has eggs in it, or you're making the tortilla baked eggs that we did last week, those very easily go into the oven. Yeah. So if you start making something on the stove, you can let it sit and Mm -hmm. then move it into the oven to finish baking. Yeah. Make sure you have the little handle because cast iron will stay hot throughout. The handle doesn't stay cool. So you need a really thick oven mitt or or hot pad or pot holder. And there's different ones that you can get. I just recently found a chicken cast iron that sits on top of your wood stove. That thing is so cool. It's a steamer. It's a steamer. Yeah. 
I've seen them in a dragon shape. I've seen a couple yes. different ones, but the chicken one is ridiculous. Here's the thing. If you have a wood stove and you want this, this is at Ace Hardware. Really? Yeah. It's so cool. Ace is the place. So there's all different kinds. We were talking about Lodge. It's a good starter brand. Lodge is kind of like the speckled Sussex. <laughs> if you could only get one piece of cast iron for the rest of your life or one brand, go with Lodge. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with it. There's some other brands that are highly collectible. There's Griswold, which actually I have some found maybe 20 years ago in the wild. You have one of the small skillets that's perfect for frying eggs. Yeah. The thing with cast iron is, yes, you can absolutely fry eggs in them. You have to make sure you use the right kind of grease for it. And you have to make sure that you clean it properly so you don't do away the seasoning. Exactly. So you don't use soap on cast iron pans. You only use water and you wipe it down. And you have to make sure you dry it really, really well right after you wipe it down. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't rust. So it doesn't rust. The other thing is, a long time ago when I was having problems keeping my iron, everyone said cook everything in cast iron. Because the food absorbs a bit of the iron. Exactly. So it's just really nice stuff. There's all different kinds. There's one out there that actually has like the pie slices in it already. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you can go on and get anything. There's one here. The base of it is a skull. Wow. Yeah. That's it's some fancy. the seasoned cast iron sugar skull skillet. Wow. There's a dragon that you were talking about. The dragon steamer. Yes. And that's more expensive than the chicken steamer. I think one of the really cool things about cast iron, besides the fact that it lasts forever and thus is very eco-friendly, is that it's super farmhouse. It's very farmhouse and it cooks the eggs so well. Mm-hmm. They don't stick nearly as much as they do on like stainless steel or something else. And I like the fact that you wipe it clean. You're not having to soap it up all the time. Yeah, I have a Dutch oven, but it's an enameled iron Dutch oven. Are the iron Dutch ovens enameled because liquid sits in there for so long? I think so. That would make sense. Okay. Yeah. All I know is it could be a murder weapon. It's so heavy. Yeah. And you know what? The thing is, baking eggs, the best way to do it is in cast iron. That would make sense. I mean, so many skillets are not going to be able to take the heat of the oven as well. And cast iron was used how many years ago? Okay. Here's your quick history in cast iron. So cast iron cookware has been in use supposedly since the Han Dynasty in China, which is about 220 AD. I was wondering if it would be the Iron Age, but that's a whole other matter. (laughs) I'm not surprised this has been out there that long. In the 16th century, so we're talking 1500s, the Dutch oven became popular in Europe, Right. right? And then in the early 1700s, an Englishman named Abraham Darby is credited with revolutionizing cast iron cookware. He patented a method for casting the dishes. Right. Abraham Darby is interesting because if you're a gardener, David Austin has a rose named after him. Okay. Beautiful. And so cast iron tended to be the choice of cookware in the United States, certainly, until the early 20th century when aluminum became cheaper. And it didn't get booted because it doesn't work better. It got booted because something cheaper came Exactly. So remember that sometimes using the things that are really good, your recipes are going to turn out better. And with my experience with eggs, they cook them better. My mom made eggs in the cast iron every day for years and years. I have ceramic cookware yeah. for a variety of reasons, but cast iron is unbeatable. Do you know what soca is? No. So it's like a quick bread that's made from a chickpea flour batter. Okay. Pretty much every European culture has a recipe for this. But you heat your cast iron in the oven while you mix up the soca dough. And then you pour it into the skillet, put it back into the oven to bake. Okay. And it makes like a, a flat bread, a quick bread that you okay. can put things on. 
It is at its best in cast iron. You can do it in regular baking dishes, but in cast iron, it's so good. It's just a proven fact. It cooks things really well. And you get the added extra little iron from the pan. I guess that's because it's heated evenly and the heat stays in there. So something like an egg, it is going to cook really quickly. It does and very well. I have used it for like egg bakes that I've started on the stove Uh and then moved into the oven to finish. And it just does really, really well. You just have to take care of it. You have to clean it the right way and make sure you use the little pot holder or they make the handles so that you don't burn your Oh, okay. Just to recap, if you're looking for entry-level solid pieces that will last your lifetime, go for Lodge. If you're really looking to collect one of the older brands, Griswold is one. If you're in the wild, get it. Okay. Definitely. Okay. So there we go. Show us pictures of what you have. Show us some eggs cooking in there. We'd love to see it. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're doing an old and really, really cool breed, the Albeard. I've been wanting to do this one. Uh-huh. Our main topic, we're talking about problems of chicken legs and feet. Oh, yes. Good stuff in there. Our recipe is green tomato quick bread. This one you really like. It's amazing. And retail therapy, we're going to talk about Save a Chick's new Flock Guard supplement. It's something that you could be using this time of the year for molting. Uh Uh-huh. It's great. Okay. So what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 